0: Welcome to Next Level Commerce, a Freedom Pay podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Next Level Commerce, a Freedom Pay podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B. And folks, thanks so much for joining us on another episode of the show. We appreciate you listening along. Make sure that as you're listening, you're subscribing to the podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify for a full catalog of previous conversations, as well as notifications when we drop new ones. And make sure you're also going to our website, corporate.freedompay.com. Again, corporate.freedompay.com for more information on our solutions and services and more Freedom Pay Thought Leadership. So on today's episode of the podcast, we're exploring the importance of fraud prevention in e-commerce. COVID for all the ways that it bolstered e-commerce also revealed many of the deficiencies in online retailers' ability to fight off fraudsters who are looking to take advantage of weak network security. So with our conversation today, we're going to break down some of the most common ways that fraud is enacted against online retailers, the consequences, and of course, offer some potential solutions. So for insights, we're joined today by Rich Stuppy. He's vice president and senior customer success leader for Count, an Equifax company. And Count is a leading e-commerce and fraud prevention company that's offering protection through the whole customer journey from account creation and login to payments and disputes. Rich Stuppy, great to have you on. How are you doing today?
1: Daniel, I'm terrific. Thanks for having me. Really looking forward to this conversation.
0: Yeah, it's going to be a timely one. There's a lot of technical specifics as well as big picture impacts that we need to break down. So let's go ahead and jump right in. Uh, I think the most timely context we can use to frame our conversation is COVID. It's a a bit hard to avoid still in our uh, back and forth business conversation today. But COVID has made e-commerce the landscape of competition, at least for the last year, putting the online shopping experience as a priority for businesses, both large and small. So in many ways, the pandemic pandemic accelerated this move that was already happening. Do you see the impact of COVID on e-commerce as overhyped in your opinion, or is it as dramatic as people say? What are your thoughts?
1: It's absolutely as dramatic as people say, and I would even go as far as to say it may be a little understated. What we've seen is really just the beginning. In 2020, COVID forced a long time, uh, you know, purely pure play physical retailers to really uh, do some last mile reengineering, combining both their physical and digital customer experience into a single experience. And what they've found is they've been able to create some really, really terrific brand experiences and the consumers like them. And so that last mile reengineering, that's things like uh, curbside parking lot sales, buy online pickup in store, ship from store, so many different capabilities that they didn't have before. Um, and again, the c- consumers like them, they're not going
0: back to waiting in line. So if you think it's relatively understated, actually, that means that the expansion of, uh, robust online shopping experiences is maybe even more widespread than we're uh, imagining here, which would mean that there's going to be many network security needs, uh, from businesses that didn't have the scale or footprint at all, uh, about a year ago. So do you think businesses were prepared for the network security side of developing such a robust online shopping experience mid pandemic? Yes, no. Why or why not?
1: Yeah, I would say yes and no. So the ones that had already developed the muscle to create a quality digital experience, they had the ability and they had the knowledge of the controls you need to put in place in this sort of experience. Those that were relatively new to it and had, let's say, a toe in the water, they had to move forward quickly um, as a matter of survival. And they hadn't plumbed in the controls, the signal detection, the things that you need to do to protect yourself from fraud and cybersecurity events in this digital space. And so they learned some very painful lessons and learned them quickly. Um, so uh, it, it's both sides of the story. And and also, I think, because of the uh, never-ending game of cat and mouse that happens in fraud, fraud control, criminals, and cybersecurity You're never there. You're always on the journey and you're always getting tougher, stronger, a harder target. So no matter how good you are, I think this last year has taught us there's a continuous capacity to improve.
0: Let's go ahead and loop in some of the motivators that fraudsters have to take advantage of those network security failings. How did the pandemic offer up new opportunities or new resources or strategies for these fraudsters that weren't there before, besides just the fact that there were more players to potentially take advantage of? Sure. So there's actually a a lot of psychological
1: analysis on how uh, people convince themselves that it's okay to execute a fraud scheme. Uh, The most common model is used is called the fraud diamond. Um, That deals with the idea that Uh, in order to commit fraud, you have to have an incentive, you've got to have an opportunity, you've got to be able to rationalize that it's okay, and then you've got to have the capability. And so uh, for the first two, incentive and opportunity, there's a lot of people that lost their job, lost their ability to uh, make money, had to pay rent still. That's a hell of an incentive. Um, Then you had the idea that, all these new businesses were coming online, their controls were relatively weak, that gave them a huge opportunity to commit the fraud. Then it's easy to rationalize it because you feel like you're not, when you're committing fraud over the internet, you're not stealing from a community member, your neighbor, etc. You're not holding them up. You're just taking from a potentially big nameless corporation that can probably afford it anyway. And then in terms of capabilities, the fraud, supply chain and the fraud ecosystem has developed tremendous capabilities in terms of stolen data, stolen credentials, stolen credit cards, and then automation to snap all of that stuff together and make it work seamlessly and easily. So this this has really been a perfect storm around creating new opportunities for fraud, uh, giving people incentive to commit fraud, and then providing tailor-made packages to execute that fraud in uh, in mass
0: can you connect the dots for us then with how those uh, opportunities for fraudsters have evolved over the last decade or so I know you have a, a decade plus of uh, industry experience in fraud prevention so how have those fraud tactics become more unpredictable or more robust over the years and why
1: sure. Sure. Great, great, great question. I would say um, there are tried and true uh, fraud schemes that are still being successfully executed that have in fact not changed a bit since I started in the industry. The classic card testing, the classic brute force account takeover, etc. Um, the, the classic using a stolen credit card to go online to a store and buy something with a stolen credit card and then sell it online on an auction site like eBay, et cetera, or committing a basic refund fraud or committing basic friendly fraud. Those existed a decade ago and probably in some form have existed since before the internet because stealing you know, is kind of easily done and repeatable in terms of patterns. But what I would say is They have become more sophisticated in that there's a a myriad more targets. They can try not just one at a time, but multiple schemes at a time. They have millions, if not billions of stolen credit cards and stolen identities with with which to cycle through. They have access to uh, financial accounts, gold, diamonds, liquor, cryptocurrency. It's a movable feast in terms of what there is to steal. So that has caused a level of sophistication and customization and specialization where in this fraud ecosystem, a person may concentrate on stealing the credit cards. A, cur- a person may concentrate on executing a tiny fraction of the fraud scheme or creating the bot and then selling that bot as part of a criminal enterprise. So it's really about dealing with organized and professional thieves from anywhere on the planet, anytime, day or
0: night. Can you give us some more context on who specifically is being targeted by fraudsters today? Do they go for the biggest pocketbook possible with major retailers? Because scale creates opportunities for more fraud or do they target the smaller players with less robust infrastructure mix of both? What are your thoughts?
1: Yeah, it's, it's, it's really harkens back to the specialization discussion that we just had the idea that a person can specialize on stealing a particular product and monetizing that product from a particular platform or site so let's say I specialize in taking sneakers from Shopify stores or doing uh, triangulation fraud from a particular big box retailer. Even I'd also say that there can be a particular product that because the cash out or the uh, receiving value from the fraud that you committed is one of the harder parts of it. So you may develop a skill around finding a particular product for sale and then wherever that exists, you go out and get that because the hard part would be the cash out or the monetization part. So that is one of the reasons or one of the primary reasons a lot of small businesses have been targeted as opportunities or a target of opportunity for fraudsters because they're looking for that specific product. And, and again, some of the smaller businesses and the platforms that they do business on don't have the fraud controls in place that um, make them a hardened target. So really it's uh, all sellers and all digital businesses, great and small. It's a matter of if you come under into the focus of a fraud organization that comes after you in earnest.
0: If we look at the fallout from COVID, so many small to medium-sized businesses have shuttered. And for the ones that have remained, we're dealing with tight budgets, limited manpower. Uh, Can we expect that small to medium-sized businesses are going to be fraud prevention ready to push back against these tactics with said limited resources, tight budgets, limited manpower? What do you think? Uh, Pretty much guaranteed no. The,
1: the, the way to do that for a small business is to partner with platforms and capabilities that have a, a fraud mindset and have a suite of fraud products included in, in their go to market. And so that can be the e-commerce platform. That can be the payment processor. That can be, uh, the, del- the, the food delivery or restaurant app company that you use like it uh, fraud hits them everywhere there's pretty much no way a person that hasn't had years of focus on fraud can can protect themselves in this complex environment and there's pretty much no way that if you're a small business with all the myriad pressures you're dealing with there's you know you're not going to be sitting home at night. Uh, you know reading Krebs on security to figure out the next fraud attack you're gonna need a partner to handle that for you and if you don't pick the right partner you know bad things are gonna happen and that's that's frankly a tragedy and really kinda pisses me off for lack of a better word to think about all of the people out there um, trying to you know perform their trade and perform their craft And uh, people from somewhere on the planet are stealing from them,
0: and they're pretty much defenseless. So, Rich, I'm curious your intersection on this issue, but for a lot of small to medium-sized businesses that don't have the infrastructure to develop their own proprietary online shopping model or Platform, uh, They're often relying on selling their goods over an e-commerce platform, which uh, might be good for easing some of the front and back-end fulfillment and ordering challenges that a small to medium-sized business might have, but it also uh, separates them more from having that kind of oversight over the back-end model, and if the network is safe, uh, against potential fraudsters. So do you see that as a long-term strategy that is compatible with businesses also wanting to have more oversight over their fraud mitigation strategies? Yes or no? What are your thoughts?
1: Uh, ab- absolutely. And we recognize that as a trend a long time ago and have built out integrations into many, many platforms, payment processors, commerce uh, and advertising platforms and therefore are able to go to where our customers are and provide them the same level of protection, flexibility, transparency, and data through a platform, and they they don't even really have to do anything. They, they get it by signing up with the platform or the processor, and so uh, that is that is, I think, the great way for them to receive the benefit and have that protection.
0: So you've worked with plenty of major retailers to, uh, while at the same time combat their fraud, also help them drive a personalized customer experience, which I think speaks to a broader intersection here between maximizing fraud prevention, but then also maximizing the guest experience uh, by planning strategies that do both. Can you give us more insight there as to how those worlds are combining? Uh,
1: Yeah, absolutely. So the beauty of digital commerce, the beauty of e-commerce is the idea that you can provide a customer experience to uh, anyone. Anywhere across the globe, you can sell anything, anytime. That's what retailers, frankly, have dreamed about for a a long, long time. So the uh, key would be to have the sort of signals and the understanding about your customers to know, is this a very trustworthy customer? Is is this customer who they say they are? Or could this be a fraudster or a risky customer or a known fraud committer? and then having the ability to orchestrate the way you treat those two uh, different communities. And so that's and that's the key to customer experience. Uh, and so we very much think in terms of if we give you a real-time understanding of who this person is, whether they're logged in or not, or whether they've identified themselves or not, we can give you an indicator of how trustworthy they are or how risky they are and enable our customers to customize that experience for them.
0: One of the major retailers that's employed your solution, for example, is PetSmart, who uh, recently actually recovered $12 million in fraudulent transactions, no small amount. Can you walk us through some of their fraud challenges and how they made it out of that situation and got control of their fraud mitigation strategies?
1: Sure, sure. When, uh, when we started, when we started working with PetSmart, obviously a very f- sophisticated company, a long time and highly experienced, uh, e-commerce and fraud team. Uh, we partnered with them, understood what their problems were, and deployed our flagship product, which we call Count Command, which is combines, uh, AI and machine learning, the Identity Trust Global Network, a policy engine, and a whole series of defense layers in a single platform. And and we began working with them uh, to understand what the fraud attacks that they were experiencing, where those fraud attacks were coming from, what the characteristics were. And in many ways, the AI and machine learning took care of a lot of the issues and then they were able to augment on top of that some very business specific customizations around policies. And by doing that, we collected and created a tremendous amount of data on each transaction that's flowing through their platform, and then gave them the analytical tools to look inside that and the transparency to see the data behind the transactions. And, you know, as as we do with so many of our customers. In, in a few short months, uh, their chargeback rates drop, their insult rates uh, drop, and over the course of time, uh, bank authorizations actually improve because they're sending very clean traffic to the processors, and in general, we're, we're helping them execute their strategies around customer experience Exactly the way that they wanted to do it. And we play, we play a part of that uh, in terms of the fraud and risk and trust and safety. But they, they're a very sophisticated company that uh, has very intelligent strategies around how they want to treat their customers to maximize value to the customer.
0: So let's take all of these insights now and try to ground them a little bit more into some actionable steps that our listeners can take. So when you're working with end users, what are some of the key considerations you have them figure out to decide what fraud prevention strategy is best for them, as well as how to integrate the tech and some best practices into their day-to-days? What factors basically influence those decisions? Sure. And and
1: we've talked a little bit about a customer experience. right, And that customer experience ar- arrives via what we would call a customer journey. And the number one thing that I would tell people to do as they're validating their fraud and risk needs is to completely map out the customer journey that y- that you're building. And a lot of times they start with the payment customer journey because that's where it's at right? That's where the money changes hands. But you also have to think in terms of, well, what's my loyalty journey? And how does my loyalty journey take a customer to a monetization step for me as a business? What is my account creation and my my most basic login and authentication journey? And map out based on your business, those interactions, the kind of the high value points in those interactions. And then I would tell, tell the customer to map in or plumb in controls and the ability to collect signals inside that journey. So when, as they learn more about what's what's happening in there, so they'll be able to turn up or turn down those controls as the risk increases, as their business evolves. That's, when you think about it in terms of the journey and you're balancing customer experience with fraud and cybersecurity, that's a completely different story than I'm rolling out a product and I'm going to see what happens because I can guarantee you the fraudsters and the organized criminals are looking for those new changes and they're going to probe those new changes. And you might not think that there's a lot of value in there, but they have a very excellent uh, methodology for testing those customer journey steps and finding the places that don't have the controls and don't have the signal collection and then exploiting them to steal to cause brand damage and to corrupt the customer experience that the retailer or the digital business is trying to create for their customer
0: now if we try to look ahead and make sure that this is a proactive strategy that businesses are employing how can businesses simultaneously develop a plan and mitigation strategy that is long-term while addressing some of the more immediate threats or changes or challenges that COVID brought, for example, uh, that are already hitting their sites or are right on the horizon? Yeah, Great, great question. And, and I do think it's around some basic principles,
1: comparative advantage, core capabilities. What are you going to be very, very good at? And I think most retailers and most digital businesses would say, what I wanna be good at is providing the best possible experience and value to my customers. So in terms of managing, how am I gonna handle cybersecurity, fraud and risk, both now and in the future, it's about partnerships. And it's about finding a partner that is making the investments in data, technology, and really data network to deliver long long standing capabilities and capabilities that will last a long time about fraud and risk because you know I've got I've got a 75 technologists and product people working to build out the uh, capabilities and I've got a team of data scientists and I got a team of support people that are doing uh, nothing but helping people through the jungle of fraud and risk all day, every day. And you're never going to be able to do that on your own. So if you partner with the right companies that match your philosophy, you can focus on the thing that your core competency and the things that you want to do right. And that's how you position yourself well for the future. Like, you, you know, there, there's a reason people hire lawyers and accountants and they don't do it themselves. It's because it's a core competency that can be easily delivered to you.
0: All right, last main thing I want to bring up today, Rich, is more Count focused. So I know that Count has partnered with Freedom Pay recently uh, as the company's strategic partner to offer Freedom Pay customers. A fraud prevention solution for all varying verticals, company sizes, and digital needs. And I'm curious, why did Freedom Pay seek out Count to be part of its payment solutions portfolio? And uh, what has the net effect been?
1: Yeah, great, great question. You know, I I can't speak uh, explicitly for Freedom Pay, but it's my understanding that the decision was driven by the need for Freedom Pay to provide a robust solution that was frankly, baked in by uh, one of their partners for uh, payment protection and the protection around uh, fraud, risk, and loss. So, you know, the things that they looked at and the things that we talk to people about as they're evaluating us, were our uh, international capabilities and our data capabilities, our identity trust global network. Our ability to cater to freedom-paced customers from the SMB all the way up to the largest enterprises that they serve they you know wanted a solution that included the 3D S capabilities and they wanted a way to explore fraud capabilities that cut across the multiple different types of payments the multiple different events in a, in a digital businesses customer journey and we were able to partner with them and in a consultative way explain how we can do all those things and allow them to focus on their core capabilities and we'll focus on our core capabilities and together we'll help deliver the best possible customer experience to their customers.
0: And do you feel like this is a field where fraud prevention strategies are going to uh, be really relevant for the foreseeable future? Basically, uh, a need for fraud prevention solutions to support data-driven online payment solutions like Freedom Pays, I guess, break down the mutual benefits as well as benefits to the end user.
1: Yeah, you bet. I mean, fraud, theft, loss, larceny, I think is, is as old as humanity. I think... Uh, of course it's going to be relevant because as long as people have things of value, there will be others that will seek to take that illegally. And so together, I think we can give reassurance to Freedom Pay that their customers are going to be able to do their business in a safe and secure way without the worry of fraud. We'll be able to collect and create a massive amount of data about those transactions and provide the transparency for FreedomPay and their customers to actually see the data and understand the decisions that are made that's not in some sort of black box. And then also have a compelling business model that's delivered in a way that creates a positive ROI for every player in in the ecosystem. And so really it's, it's the heart of uh, Doing well by doing good is the way I think of it. We're protecting good businesses from the bad guys, fraudsters, and organized criminals that are seeking to take from them. And by doing that, we play a small part in making uh, business go better and grow better and maybe making the world a better place and letting people to fulfill their missions and objectives to sell anytime, anywhere, all over the planet.
0: And I'm looking forward to seeing how these fraud prevention strategies continue to become more normalized as uh, the e-commerce footprint grows in ways that we could have never imagined. And I'm sure we're going to have to continue to do some follow-up conversations as we see that growth. But till then, I think that does it for our conversation today. So thank you to our guest, Rich Stuppy, VP and Senior Customer Success Leader for Count on Equifax Company. Rich Stuppy, thank you so much for joining us. It's really been a pleasure.
1: Yeah, Daniel, thank you. I love talking about this stuff. I'll do it anytime, anywhere,
0: so don't hesitate to call. And before we wrap completely, if folks want to find out more about COUNT and uh, some of the work you're doing in this space or potentially get in touch, how can they do so?
1: Sure, I'd recommend going to COUNT.com. That's K-O-U-N-T tcom Or use your favorite search engine to Google COUNT and fraud control, and you'll get a massive library that explains all we do for people and how we help fight the fraudsters.
0: I love it. Rich, thanks again for your time. It's been a pleasure.
1: You bet. Take care.
0: And thank you everyone for listening to today's episode of the podcast. If you like what you heard and want to listen to previous episodes, make sure that you're going to our website, corporate.freedompay.com. Again, corporate.freedompay.com and subscribing to Next Level Commerce on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B. Till next time.